They're continuing to load in well here for this big group one event. There's a bit of movement from out wide. This will be confirmation from downstairs. Hello, broadcast. Okay. The clerks of the course have been passed fit to start, and Dean and Lewis are in the saddle. The red light goes on. The clerks of the course podcast is set to begin. Ready. And they're off. Chautauqua very late, it's English a half length in front, can he do it? Chautauqua, he's flying, yes! And excellent, but McCarty Diva clear with 100 metres to go, excellent runs to second, Otazun runs on, but a champion becomes a legend, McCarty Diva has won it! G'day punters and welcome to another edition of the Clarks of the Course podcast, a Group 1 edition nonetheless. You're joined as always uh, by myself, Lewis Willoughby, in the co-host chair with me is Dean Watling, once again operating off about zero hours sleep. I swear he just runs on fumes, this bloke, Australia's hardest worker, I would say. Dino, uh, saying that, how are you feeling generally and are you, are you doing all right off this no sleep situation? Uh, the races for Saturday, yes, they're pushing me through. Um, but in saying that, yeah, last night was definitely a late one. Uh, I went to bed around that 2.30 mark and I was up nice and early 4.30 for work. So I think the fumes are getting low, but um, got a cold beverage next to me and I think that's refilling me perfectly. How are you doing this week, mate? Yeah, good, good. I've uh, had a bit more sleep than yourself, obviously, but not by much. It's been a busy week. Uh, taking a new gig with RSL on Saturdays. Um, I'll speak a bit about that later. But, yeah, busy week as always. But to get you through and to get you through as well, listeners, we've got an absolutely massive episode coming up. Uh, not to put the mock on the previous two interviewees that we've had. They've both been very good. But this one, this is big. This is huge. And uh, would it be fair to say that it's actually a double interview, do you think, Dean? Is it, It's a dual interview? Yeah, you could say it for sure. Maybe a little perfect couple uh, situation coming up. I guess punters could uh, um, check in their minds and see uh, who they can think of out of the jockey ranks who are coupled up. But yeah, definitely dual interview, two big, big name jockeys in the Sydney ranks. It's going to be huge. We'll get to that soon. It's Group 1 Golden Rose Stakes Day at Rose Hill, Group 1 Underwood Stakes Day at Caulfield, and there's the Group 1 Moyer at the Valley on Friday night. It's a Huge weekend of racing. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Obviously, we'll wrap up with our Get Out Stakes and Group 1 Challenge as well. We've got $300, thanks to PlayUp, to spend in this weekend's Group 1 Challenge. Now, before we get on to last weekend's results, uh, it's beer time, mate. You said you were thirsty. You said you'd cracked one open. What's the uh, beer for Week 6? A little bit disappointing this week. I didn't get the uh, opportunity to go uh, to the bottle and have a little bit of a search around. I come home, open the fridge, and the old faithful was sitting there, ice cold, and that's the Great Northern. Uh, lovely drop. I can drink it every single day. I think most people our age uh, tend to like the Great Northern, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. Uh, what are you drinking, mate? Are you going exotic this week? If you don't like Great, War- Great Northern, literally, you're a pretender. You're. A de- I'll call you out now. You're a pretender. People go... Mid-strength, whatever. No, come off it. You're a dead-set pretender if you can't get on a great one. Now, I – yes, you're right. I've been going I've been going international the past few weeks. Have I been taking it too far? Yes, I think I have. So I've, I've brought myself back down to earth, and I've picked out one here for all our good friends down in Melbourne. 
Uh, I'm drinking Mornington Draft. Now, obviously, I didn't do a lot of research into it, but I'm going to assume it's coming out of Mornington. Some great people, friends of the show from down that way. So I actually haven't tried it yet. Uh, And we're going to do a little live taste test here for yourself and for the listeners to see how the old Mornington Draft uh, stacks up down from Victoria, Australia. So we're going to crack it right now. God, that's a good sound. Great sound. That is, that is one of the great sounds. All right, here we go. Yeah, that's not bad. I can get around that. That's not bad. What, what are we talking about? Fruity or a bit more of a lager? No, definitely lagerish. 1.4 standards. They breed them tough down there, mate. That's, it's a solid punch. You can have a few of these. No, that's a good drop. That's a good drop that Mornington. They've finally done something. Uh, worthwhile. It's better than the racetrack down there, I can tell you that much. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, moving on uh, without further ado to this. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Without further ado, Dino's picked a big winner last week. Classique legend, mate. I've, I've almost cut you off there, but this win of Classique legend tipped by yourself, it was a huge win. It was an outstanding win. Uh, I think the market definitely underestimated how this bloke could come back. You go back 12 months, he started $3 in the exact race against the likes of Red Zell, um, Pirata, and um, Home of the Brave. So if you're going off that form, he should have started a lot shorter. And I think the market got it correct in the last sort of 30 seconds. He was crunched from 5 to um, 4.20. Got absolutely no luck, treacherous run. And exploded over that last 200. Um, cracking, cracking win. I know there's definitely scenes in my household. Me and the old boy had a fair bit on together. Um, and the whips were out. I think we got the last sort of one to two lengths out of him. But no, it was, it was a great win. It was a great day's racing at, um, at Randwick. I really enjoyed um, the races. Um, also enjoyed Caulfield. Huge win by Behemoth down there. That was my star performer of the week uh, for Caulfield. I think a lot of people sacked him, including myself, sort of with that 60 kilos. I didn't think he'd be able to explode um, as sort of much as we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. But he showed that he's probably even a better racehorse when chasing a nice speed like that. What did you make of the win? Yeah, I thought it was huge. And in, in hindsight, and obviously hindsight's a great thing, uh, all the signs were there that he was going to win. After he won that first Group 1, Craig Williams jumped off uh, and was videoed saying that he will win another Group 1 this spring, Behemoth. Then when he got hit with the weight, um, Sam from Grand Syndicates was very vocal, saying that he's called Behemoth for a reason. The weight's not going to worry him, um, and so and that he could carry that weight. I think the style in which he had to win makes it all the more impressive. The first Group One win, he kind of had that run parked in behind them, and it was a pretty soft one. This one, he was back in the field. He was in an awkward spot. He had to push into the clear and then really accelerate to get there. Um, and and he and even though he obviously can carry that weight, as you said, the way he picked up and quickened um, was really impressive, and, and he thoroughly deserved that win. Just back to Classique Legend for a second. Do you think that um, gets him a slot in the Everest? Yeah, he's still a, he's already got the slot um, oh, in the Everest through his owner. Um, I think they own the slot in the Everest, so that's the horse for them. Hasn't been really public, so a fair few people have said that exact same thing. Can't wait till he gets a slot, but I don't think it was very vocal when they sort of announced it. I think it was just sort of a lot of people thought that he would get a slot, but he's definitely a huge chance. He probably, um, 
you go back to look at Everest last year, it was only 2.5 lengths off uh, yes, 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 and that win. You watch that replay, he should have probably been in the finish a lot closer in that run. So he des- definitely has a case. That late speed um, is outstanding, and I think he's a bit better horse with that sting out of the track and that perfect little sprinkle on um, Friday night, that five mils. I think that made the track absolutely perfect for that bloke. So a little bit of rain won't hurt him at all, but, yeah, cracking chance in the Everest, and it's probably shaping up to be – much better race than we all first thought. That's it. Well, Behemoth has just got a slot as well. Um, I should have mentioned that just a bit, but Behemoth gets a slot. Um, now, I'm a bit nervous uh, because I last week declared that Front Page would go on to win the Kosciuszko, but it's me. Holy shit. That is an impressive, impressive win. Figures backed it up. Times backed it up. To take nothing away from the run of Front Page, it was good. But when you're now playing with a horse, it's me that some people even started talking about, well, can it rate for the Everest? Um, it'll obviously still go to the Cozzy. But unfortunately for my futures bets claims, I think it's me is now only a bad luck beats it kind of job. It was, it was seriously impressive. Yeah, last uh, 600, uh, quickest of the day, 3240. Uh, that's low flying for a horse like that. And you just got to sort of take the win off. Uh, as well as the time and the figures, I just think on visually, you just watch her sort of balance up, lulls that head, lulls a stride and just races to the line. That's sort of the, the image or the the ideal um, horse's stride or action late. Are just, it's just poultry in motion. Love watching that horse. And obviously, she's a lot better than um, highway grade. The, probably the ceilings, I'm not sure where her ceiling is at all. That's probably the X factor or the the biggest excitement about her, we, we don't know where she's going to get. But I wouldn't jump off front page. I think you'd be much better suited to sort of a race that he can dictate out in front. And like you said, if, say, a player's leaders on or on pace bias that day, I think he can sort of be a huge chance. It's me sort of run on, still got to tick that 1,200-metre box. But uh, like you said, you can't sort of take anything away from that win Saturday. So on the pod this week, we are privileged to be joined by two of the biggest names in the Sydney riding ranks. Now, both of these Group 1 winning jockeys have made a name for themselves over many seasons now as some of the leading riders in the state consistently punching out winners uh, around not only all the metro circuits, but the provincial and country areas as well. The age-old saying of have saddle, will travel is no secret to these two, uh, and they continue to prove that hard work and dedication will pay off. Are they Australia's biggest jockey power couple? Gee, I'd say yes, I think. Welcome to Blake Spriggs and Rachel King. Thanks so much uh, for giving us your time and coming on the pod. How are you guys going? Yeah, really good, thank you. We're pleased to be here on, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Beautiful. Now, it would be amiss of us, obviously, not to start uh, with a bit of background uh, on both of you, and, and I think it would be interesting for all the listeners as well to know just how uh, you both got involved in racing to begin with. So obviously, Rachel, we'll go with yours first. Um, I'm probably sure that most of you could tell by now that Rachel, through her accent, is not from here. So grew up in Oxfordshire. Uh, tell us a bit about your background and how you got into racing back home. Yeah, so I started, um, actually attempted to be a, a jump jockey, believe it or not, um, which was a little bit, now I look back on it, it was probably a bit of a a silly sort of decision but um it was something I was I was brought up into with the jump racing my dad used to ride as an amateur over jumps um it was sort of all I ever really wanted to do growing up so 
I had a bit of fun doing that um, when I sort of turned 16, rode in in point-to-points over there in, in the UK and in Ireland a bit as well, actually, and it was just basically kind of like picnic races, I guess, um, equivalent of here. And, yeah, eventually sort of progressed more towards the flat racing side of it, um, realised there was probably – I was probably more the right build for flat racing and more money in it, um, which was a big, big sway. Um, and then I ended up, oh, I sort of worked as a, a stud secretary for a while and then a racing secretary, which sort of equivalent to, I guess, a racing manager over here um, for a trainer called Clive Cox, who's obviously had some some nice horses over the time. And, yeah, eventually um, sort of led me to Australia when I – Figured I would give it one more go in England. I was going to turn apprentice and sort of have a real go on the flat. Um, but it was coming into winter time, so I sort of decided I would needed to get away from England for the winter and and just go and try and further myself a little bit before the the main season starts in sort of March time. And I ended up coming over to Australia and coming to Sydney and actually worked for Barton James Cummings um, for a couple of months for a working holiday. And once I saw the opportunities over here, realised maybe if I was going to further myself, this was probably the place I needed to try. Um, I thought England's always going to be waiting for me. If it didn't work, I would just go back. And that was nearly seven years ago now. So as you can guess, I I didn't go back. (laughs) That's it. And now... Blake, what about you? I had to do a bit of uh, research, but the internet tells me that you're a born and bred Newey boy from Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. I was um, I was actually born in Canberra, so oh. sort of grow, growing up, obviously dad, dad rode and um, you know racing sort of through my through my blood. My grandfather owned and and trained horses just just for a bit of fun around the the you know Hunter and Northwest sort of region and. Um, yeah, that, that sort of led me into it. I, I sat on my first racehorse when I was about three or four years old, um, just just at the at Bega races one day, and um, and I well, mum tells me I don't recall it, but she tells me that it was that day when I said, no, I'm, I'm going to be a jockey. And um, since then, I've sort of always aspired to be that. I was, you know, I was lucky enough to 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 play, you know, all different sports and and be a part of all different sports growing up. And mum, mum, and and dad tried to sort of lead me down those paths, just, just trying to, to get me away from it, I think. And, um, you know, it was always, like I said, it was in my blood and, and, you know, I was pretty passionate about it. So I, so I, you know, wanted to follow it up and thankfully I, I did. Now, Blake and Rachel, welcome to the pod again. Uh, was there a significant moment or a moment exactly you can remember when you thought this was the best career choice for me? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, my, my first ride, I was lucky enough to, to win on it. And I think that was probably a moment where I thought, you know, th- this is great. You know, it's, it's, it's the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, racing is the bi- biggest leveler, you know, you, you obviously, you have your bad days as well. And you, you know, you can't help but question it sometimes when, when those days happen, you know, you, you, you never think about walking away from it, but you, you sort of think, you know, is this is this the right sort of path, or could I do, could have done something else? And um, but certainly the the highs are higher than the, you know, the highs are high and the lows are low. So you know, you you've got to sort of stay resilient. And um, yeah, that was definitely a moment for me where where I realised it's it's something that that you know I really wanted to do, and I was glad that I did it. 
And Rachel, what about you? When was there a moment back in back in England that you knew that this was the career you wanted to do? Because obviously, coming out here to follow um, to, to a new country and to start riding is a huge commitment. So you had to be pretty uh, decided on your career, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I can't ever remember ever wanting to do anything else. So I was always just had it in my head that I would be a jockey. Um, as I said before, I sort of presumed I would probably be a jump jockey rather than a flat jockey um, until I realised I wasn't growing much over five foot and that was a slight issue. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember really ever wanting to do anything else. And there was a couple of stages, I guess, before I came over to Australia where I did sort of sway a little bit away from the riding and did a bit of office work within racing and things like that. But when I sort of made the decision to to come here and and try and learn a bit and then to come back and, and you know, make it a, a career, there was definitely never any other option in my mind. You know, I was pretty to 110% um, sure this was what I wanted to do and I was definitely going to throw everything at it. Now, we touched on Blake's first ever ride. Um, would have been handy to hang up the boots then. One from one, 100% profit on turnover. Very nice record. Rach, do you remember your first ever ride? I do. Mine was uh, definitely not as um, glamorous. It was around a muddy field in Ireland, somewhere in the deep depth, depths of Cork, County Cork. I can't actually remember even the name of the racetrack. It probably isn't actually an official racetrack. It was a point-to-point Um there was no running rail or anything, and I remember I fell off at the last fence, so I didn't even get around. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done well to stick with it after if that's the first one that you've gone around in. You've done very well. Now, obviously, Rach, you come out to to Australia to ride, and, and Blake, you're already riding here. Uh, I think something that would interest all, us all is how did you both meet and, and how did this kind of relationship start to blossom? Um, yeah, I think we, we met sort of at the races. Um, just when I first sort of started, I was riding obviously more around the the country area and, and a little bit in the provincials. Um, and then we, yeah, ended up having a few um, car journeys together, I think was the sort of the start of it really. We ended up realised obviously we were both in, in Randwick and travelling long distances and that's how we sort of got to know each other. Who's got the best playlist in the car? Uh, Blake updates his a lot more than me so I'd probably have to give him that one I've got a great uh, playlist but a terrible singing voice yeah singing's not good good. (laughs) that's right at least only you two can hear it I'm not going to ask I thought I would have driven her away when when I started to sing but I knew she was a keeper when she stuck when she was when she was still coming with me after hearing my singing that's a classic now uh Rachel we want to know how different is riding in Australia compared to riding back in the UK? What are some of these key differences and challenges? And can you comment on, there's obviously a lot of UK jockeys that come out here now and do really well. So Aussie Tom, Tom Marquin came out and did well. And uh, obviously Tom Sherry doing really well uh, around those provincial areas and starting to creep into the metro. So how different is it riding here compared to back home? Um, yeah, it it is quite different in, I guess, a lot of ways. I mean, generally the tracks are a lot tighter here, um, especially when you get the examples of places like Gosford and Wyong and things like that. You would never see a track like that in England. And the, the just the racing in general is, is a lot tighter. I mean, I remember right when I first started riding here and 
you know, I didn't see any problem with sitting three and four wide. Like that wasn't ever an issue um, in England, but things like that are a lot different um, here. And apart from that, look, at the, the sort of basics, I guess, are the same, but there is certainly a, a different style to it. And I think you can even see that, like you said, the the jockeys that have come over, they've they've obviously done well, but you can see every jockey that's come over, I would say nearly all of them anyway, the, their second trip has always been that bit more successful where they've just got to know the style of racing. They get to know how the horses sort of travel. It's slightly different. They're probably a lot more um, sort of up on the bridle in, in Australia, whereas in England it's all about, I guess there's a lot more distance races, so it's more, a lot more about as soon as you leave the gates, just relaxing straight away. Um, there's not, I mean, you, you don't get any sort of 900-meter races or anything like that in, in England. So it's definitely not as much speed um, over there. But, yeah, it's like I said, it, you do notice a big difference when the, the visiting jockeys sort of on their second or third trip even, they tend to, you know, really – that's when they kind of get that good kick along and, and re- work out the, the pattern of the racing. So it does take a little bit to, to adapt and get used to. Now, Rach, when you first came out to Australia, did you have any goals set in mind? You mentioned you um, <clears throat> sided with the coming stable when you first come out. How did that all sort of begin? Yeah, so I, I mean, originally I was just here for, for two months for a working holiday. Um, so there was there was basically positions available at at James and Bart Stable, um, so I was able to um, ride work for them. I didn't really have many sort of goals, I guess, for those two months, just just to gain experience. Um, but sort of the longer I was here, the more I realised actually, you know, for me, it, it, for a for sort of point in my career, I, I needed to be here to to kind of further myself and there was probably more opportunities for girls especially. Um so yeah, when I obviously had those two months for James, James, and then I ended up actually coming back and working for Gay um, and being apprenticed to her. And I remember it was a little bit of a battle for the first sort of twelve months to actually get my license. Um, Gay was quite keen to keep me in the the office side of things and tried to put me in that direction, but I got there eventually. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I would have been, I guess, at the time, I, I would have been happy just to sort of be kicking a few winners around at the provincials that would have been a, a sense of sort of accomplishment for me but so to get where I have it has been you know beyond expectations. Now Blake obviously as you said you've grown up around Canberra and Sydney and obviously the the New South Wales jockey ranks are possibly amongst some of the most competitive in the world I mean Sydney and Melbourne at the moment it's really hard and really competitive to get good ride so being thrust into that as a as a young kid finding his feet in the industry and and going through your apprenticeship how did you find it riding here in, in New South Wales yeah look it was um it was obviously pretty tough you know I was quite lucky I had good support from Chris Lees when I was in in Newcastle and that sort of helped push me along a little bit and um it was it was probably about 12 to 14 months into my apprenticeship I was I was still only 17 years old and and I had a call from from Gay to move down to Sydney and um, I actually said no, believe it or not, for the first two times that she asked and um, it took a third call to to ask me to, to move down and um, I still said no again but she, she begged us to, to, to come down to Sydney and, and, and at least, you know, meet up with her, have a coffee and talk about why, you know, I should go down and after doing that we, we thought we'd give it a go and... Um, 
yeah, look, it, it, it's it is very tough. You know, you 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 move to Sydney and um, you have you have an instant expectation on you when you join a Waterhouse stable, and um, you know she 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 does push you hard and she does expect a lot of you and she she does teach you a lot of things like um you know how how to talk to owners and and how to present yourself properly and um and you know obviously how to ride as well and um yeah like i said that that pressure is sort of tough to deal with and a lot of apprentice apprentices don't sort of handle it and and that's why you know apprentices sort of stay there for maybe two or three months and then go um and I was lucky enough to, to once I moved down there, I had had instant sort of luck. And um, before, before too long, I was I was riding in town, and within a few weeks of, of riding in town, I rode the five winners on the Saturday, and then you know I was riding group winners for a couple of weeks later, and had a lot of a lot of luck. So you know I was able to push through that pressure and um, and sort of make something of it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the toughest riding ranks in the world, if not the toughest. Um, Hong Kong's obviously very competitive but I don't think they have the depth that we do here in in Sydney and I think that any of the top 10 jockeys in Sydney could go anywhere in the world and be very competitive so um yeah it was something that I had to work hard on and you know I'm still working hard on it now. Now do you both remember what your first sort of big ride was not necessarily a group one uh, maybe a listed or a, a group race in uh, general but do you sort of have that the first group race, uh, high pressure race that you can sort of remember? Um, I think mine would probably, surprisingly, actually probably be the Wagga Cup, which I ended up winning for Gay, um, which is a listed race. I guess it doesn't sound that sort of bigger race, but for me, that was probably the biggest race I had ridden in so far. And um, especially, you know, being apprentice to Gay, when your sort of boss is prepared to put you on in a stakes race while I was still apprentice, it was a a real privilege um and then to go and go on and, and win the race was you know something really special and something that's always going to stick in my mind and what about you Blake? uh look i i'd have to go with a gay waterhouse runner as well i, I was i was um like i said I, I i'd ridden the five winners um two weeks earlier and and gay had told me during the week i was going to rod's uh her star cold at the time uh Squamosa and he was he was to run in the Run to the Rose, which was a group race, and um, I'd never won a group race before. And he, he was, like I said, he was a colt, so he was proving himself to be quite valuable, being uh, three from three and, and heading towards a Golden Rose path. And um, yeah, that was that was a race where I sort of built myself up for it all week, and um, he, he started about two dollars favorite or dollar ninety favorite or something like that. So that there was a lot of pressure with that, and. Probably a funny story to go with that was uh, when I was leaving the jockey's room, I was sort of, I was really amped to get out there and, and, and get on the horse. And I just happened to meet up with Gay uh, leaving the jockey's room. And and she said to me, she said, now you make sure you talk well to these owners because they never want to join it. <laughs> so I went, from, I went from being extremely excited and pumped to sort of thinking, geez, how, how am I going to, how am I going to handle this? You know, I need to make sure I'm going to win on it. But you know, at the time I didn't understand it, but now as, as you know, an older jockey, uh, you know, a bit, a bit wiser, I, could, I knew that uh, I can now see that Gay sort of knew that I was, um, you know, I was quite determined and I, I would take that in the right way. And I, I certainly went out there wanting to prove them, prove them, them wrong and show that, you know, I, I could do what, um, you know, the senior, senior riders were doing, even though I was, I was still claiming three kilos. 
What a story. That's a cracking story. One to note down. Um, you're both sitting at one group one apiece. Uh, I know for a fact, Blake, you're a very competitive person. How's the household around that spring and autumn time? Does it sort of get up uh, nice and competitive? Who's who's rode the most winners, uh, group races, etc. Yeah, look, we're, <laughs> we're both very competitive. It's um, it's something Rachel's probably got the wood on me at the moment. She, you know, she's she's getting a lot better quality rides, and she's certainly earn, earning the right to do that. Um, probably the only thing I've got over at the moment is a Caulfield and a Melbourne Cup ride, but. Um, yeah, I'm sure before too long she'll get there. But yeah, look, it it is very competitive. Um, but we're we're both very proud of of what we're achieving. And um, you know, I, I know when uh, Rachel rode her first Group One winner, even though I think it was only a few months after I rode mine, I was I, I've got to say I was probably just as excited, if not more excited, when when she when she won it, and it gave me goosebumps. So yeah, for me, for me, there is that definite competitiveness and uh, but at the end of the day if if i'm not winning it i want rachel to win it and i'm sure you're you're the same rach yeah yeah no we we are we're very 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 competitive but very supportive as well like i was there when i went to the races actually just to watch i remember when blake won his first group one and he um you're actually at home when i'm on mine weren't you but you ran down to the quickly got in the car and ran down to the races so you know there's definitely you know, no bigger supporter than, than each other, but it, it, it does get very competitive. Um, we, I'm probably not a very good loser, so I'm not good when I'm on, you know, a not-so-good streak. Blake <laughs> um, has a lot more patience than me, but, yeah, every, everything we do, we're very competitive. We even, even playing a game of tennis or anything, we get very competitive. <laughs> now talk us through that maiden Group 1 win, Rachel. It was on Made of Heaven for Mark Newnham in the Spring Champion Stakes. Uh, talk us through the lead up to a Group One race, knowing that you know it, it, you've got a good chance in it, and how the race panned out, and then how it felt afterwards as well. Um, yeah, m- mine was probably a little bit different to some, I guess, because I actually didn't know I was riding the horse until acceptance morning. Um, she she'd run the week before, I think James McDonald had ridden her the week before, um, and not had a lot of luck. So it looked like. You know, she was going well but didn't have a lot of luck anyway. And Mark sort of thought, well, she hasn't had a hard run. So he, you know, threw her in the next next weekend and, and thought, well, we'll have a go. And I've always ridden a lot of work for Mark, obviously, from when he was connected to Gaze. You know, it was very helpful there. So I had ridden her in a few gallops um, but I'd never sat on her race day. And so acceptance morning came around and, you know, the horse had pulled up well and he was happy. So he said, well, I'm just going to run her. And you know, because Mark sort of being loyal and, and I was available, um, I was lucky enough to get the call up. So it wasn't sort of as big a build up, I guess, as some group ones. Like normally, you know, probably a couple of weeks in advance, you're going to you, you're going to ride a horse in a, in a big race. But I said I didn't know until that Wednesday, and um, I guess I was quite sort of relaxed going into it. Really, for a group one, I was quite confident that she was a good, solid sort of top five chance um probably hadn't we knew we hadn't really seen the best of her and we thought obviously she would be better up over this kind of trip but um yeah it was it was a little bit of a surprise I guess um sort of managing to win but that's where you know riding for someone like Mark in in a big race like that gives me a lot of confidence being an ex-jockey we were I remember sitting down in the 
in the jockey's room sort of beforehand and, and talking through the race and you know working out where each horse was going to be and it, it all worked exactly to plan exactly how we sort of thought it would and I remember thinking in the run well I've sort of done my job at halfway you know we were in the right spot and if the horse was good enough we, we were there to be able to win it. And obviously it was quite a fitting group one as well because it was Mark Newnham's first group one success not long after taking his uh, trainer's license and also that Maid of Heaven was actually only the second filly uh, to be able to beat the boys in that race and, and that's obviously fitting for you being a female rider. So it was almost the, the perfect storm for your first group one win. It was, yeah. It was a day of first, obviously being mine, Mark's, and I think it was the Stallion's first group one as well. So it was a, a big day for everyone. Um, it was fantastic to be able to do it f- for Mark and, and the connections, you know, that, as I said before, Mark's given me so much support and, and continued support since then. So that sort of made it made it extra special. Um, and like you said as well, being being a filly to, to beat the boys was very satisfying. And how hungry does that make you t- to keep chasing that top-level success? Oh, uh, I think as Blake would agree, it makes you very hungry now. Now you've got that feeling of, of winning a group one. There's nothing else that can, you know, um, sort of portray that and and nothing can replace that at all. So it, it just makes you want it again. Um, I remember sort of thinking, trying to trying to sort of slow down a bit after the race and take it all in. But yeah, definitely now, now I've had one, just can't wait to get that next one. Now, Blake, your first Group 1 win was in 2016 aboard uh, Sir John Hawkwood in the Metrop at Ramwick. Um, how did that feeling rate um, in your event um, throughout your life? Ah, oh, look, that was, um, you know, that that was sort of unforgettable. He's um, he was a very special horse to me. He was probably on the on the complete opposite scale to to Rachel's, uh, where you know I'd, I'd I'd been riding that horse for for quite a while. Um, first time I'd sat on him, the, the owner said that you know he was struggling for a bit of form in Melbourne and and that he would be my horse to to work with. And it you know wherever he ended up in a in a ratings race at Ramwick or a Group One race, that he, he'd be my ride, and um, thankfully he stuck to that. And the horse and I became quite close. He was, you know, he was. He's got a, a very, um, very strong personality. He's a, he's a special horse, and uh, yeah, we, we sort of developed a, a, a bond there. And and I remember galloping him, sort of in the week before, and and, uh, and I, I rang the owner and I just said, look, I've never won a Group One before, but I, I, I have no idea how I could be any more confident of him winning than you know than the way I am at the moment. He's just going so well, and uh, you know, I, I, once he once he sort of put himself into that spot, sort of just in behind the leaders, he he went to sleep and travelled beautifully, and and sort of turning for home, he he sort of kicked up the rise, and you know, there's that old thing that you can't go before you get to the top of the rise. And I was just, just for about three or four strides, I thought, geez, I've probably gone for home too soon here. But he, he just pulled himself to the front, was just going so well. And when I got to the top of the rise and I let him go and he, he gave me two or three lengths, he he just sort of, he gave me goosebumps. And, and I knew I had it won a long way from home, but I'd never I'd never felt that Ramwick straight be so long. You just you just want to hit the post and, and you know, sort of claim that win. And um I never thought that I would salute the way I did, but like I said, I, I was sort of confident I was going to win a long way from home. So it was just building up and building up over the over the closing stages, and then to be able to to be able to hit the post in front on such a special horse, it was it was just so much emotion, and and um, yeah, it was very special. 
Rural motion, how good is that? Um, you have a good association with the Waratah Thoroughbreds, Gay, Godolphin. Um, what's that been like throughout the years? Yeah, look, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think any jockey can get to, uh, you know, the, the highs of their career without good support. And, um, you know, it started off with Gay and, and um, you know, and Godolphin. And Waratah has probably been my biggest supporter when it comes to, you know, day in and day out and, and whether the races be a Melbourne Cup or, you know, riding at, at Moree and northwest of, of New South Wales, you know, they, they've always been there to support me. And um, like I said, you, you don't get anywhere in this game without the support. And, and um, you know, to, to, to have that is, is a career changer. You know, you look at, you look at all the, the top jockeys um, at, at vital stages of their career, they've had someone to support them and get them through that, that apprentice stage to the, um, to the, to the senior jockey stage and um you know I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have good stables around me and I'm always looking for more now moving on to the spring it's been a tough year for everyone um what's it been like to be a jockey through these COVID times I know Blake for one you went up for the Brisbane um carnival did 14 days isolation uh, a lot of fitness to get for the ride um up there what's it sort of been like to be a jockey through COVID yeah, look, I think it's um, I think it's been make or break for for a lot of jockeys. Um, it was quite tough for me, uh, just because the the rules, you know, stated that we had to pick an area that we wanted to ride in and then stick in that area. And then because Rachel and I are obviously living together, the steward said that we had to pick the same area, and um, it wouldn't be right for Rachel to be riding around the provincials. So I had to choose to to ride in the city and. Probably only you know two and a half to five percent of my rides come in the city, so I, I lost a, a major amount of of rides there and was sort of stuck in the city um, for for a couple of months, which came on the back of of uh, four or five months off with with a knee, with knee surgery. So it was um, I mean I can't really complain when when you know people are going through a lot tougher times than me, but you know if, as far as the jockey's concerned, it was quite tough and we made that decision to go up north and, and try and sort of attack a, a Stradbroke just because, you know, we weren't getting a lot of rides here in Sydney and it was possibly an opportunity to um, to add to that Group 1 tally and we're lucky enough to pick up a nice ride for for the Snowdens um, in Hightail after Grand Piano didn't get a run. So it was um, it was a decision that was, that was difficult, obviously being away for such a long time, but Turning for home, I thought that it was the right decision when he towed me into the race and felt like the winner. But unfortunately, he didn't run the trip. So, uh, yeah, I had to had to come back, and th- thankfully now the restrictions are a bit easier, so I'm able to get around a bit more. But I'm I'm looking to to get back to where I was pre-COVID, which is which is proving a little bit more difficult than I thought it would be. But we'll just keep working hard and 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 see see if we can get back to where we were. It's very interesting to know that you know it's been hard for everyone. You're right. I, I... I personally would have overlooked the fact that uh, the decision for jockeys to say in certain areas is such a big call. So it's that's a it's a good insight to know that just how tough everyone um, in the industry has been doing it, and, and these times have kind of spared no one. So now that you're back uh, in Sydney and, and and gearing up for a spring, Blake, tell us about um, some of your goals. Not well, maybe not just for this spring, but in, in for the next year in general, and some of the goals and, and the horses even that you're keen to get on. Um, for the upcoming season and the upcoming year? Yeah, look, I think um, goals are just to be consistent. I think, first of all, I think um, every jockey wants to have that consistency. It's it's one thing to 
to, to uh, ride winners, but you want to do it consistently and, and you know, let owners know that uh, no matter the, the day or, or the chances or the, the market order of the horse, you want to give it that the best chance possible. And that's probably my number one goal. Um, my, num- my number two goal would be to, to uh, you know, ride a stakes winner again. That would be fantastic. Um, as far as as far as horses go, there's, there's quite a few young ones down there at Waratah. There's a couple of deep impacts that I'm I'm quite keen to get on. Uh, one in particular uh, is Positive Impact. She's she hasn't hit the racetrack yet, but she's she's showing signs of being well above average. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's one that in particular I'm really looking forward to. But other than that, I'm I, like I say, I just want to just want to be riding winners. So wherever that sort of can lead me, that's where I'll go. This is some great, great inside information for the punters out there. Put that one down, everyone. Positive impact, Waratah Thoroughbreds. You'll see it at the races soon. Now, Rachel, obviously you're already riding in uh, some really strong form this season, uh, some recent black type wins as well. Who are you keen to stick with uh, and some races that you're aiming for in the spring as well? Um, yeah, I guess it's hard to sort of pick a, an individual horse. Um, I mean, I'd have to, unfortunately... My probably one of my nicest horses, Fatus, has had to go to Melbourne, but um, she's one. Look, probably in the autumn, I guess. I'm looking forward to her coming back um, for the spring. Look for me. I, I'm always happy to be putting on the Royal Blue colours. They're they're very lucky for me. Um, I get some really good opportunities for them, and especially at the the light weights as well. You know, it's a, one of my sort of huge advantages that I have. I, I can ride very light and and very comfortably. Um, yeah, so. Any support I can get, you know, from from any of those sort of big stables, um, I'll be I'll be taking it with both hands. Now, there's always a pinnacle race that uh, punters like to back in, or a certain race each year that punters uh, tend to have a bit more luck on the bucket list. Uh, which is what is the one race uh, for both years that you would um, love to win? What's the sort of the race at the top of the order uh, to take out? Uh, look for me, it's definitely the Melbourne Cup. Um, <laughs> having having the the slightest taste of it there, down there in um, 2016 with Sir John was was enough for me. I mean, it's uh, I always idolised Maccabi Diva growing up. She was she was the the superstar, and um, I know I know Winks is obviously goes down as the as you know one of the greats, if not the greatest, but. I have to admire the way Maccabi Diva was able to to back up three years in a row and win the race after after just experiencing once. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a race that you know prize money prize money is irrelevant. It's it's the prestige of the of the race and it's the it's it's the one thing everyone asks when when you tell them that that you're a jockey. It's you know have you won a Melbourne Cup? Um, and that's probably something that the Everest and, and races like that are aspiring to. But um, for mine, that's that's number one and and clearly above the rest and rachel what what would be on the top of yours um i guess now i'm in australia melbourne cup as well really um it's something i went down to watch blake when when he rode in it and it it was you know like nothing else obviously i've attended sort of big race days and things in the uk but um it was pretty special you know watching that and and it's something I, 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 you know, I'd love to do just to have a ride, and it would be amazing. And I think I'd have to say also just to probably keep the family happy, the English Derby would be a, a huge one. Um, I think my dad would probably stop talking to me if I didn't say that. So, 
I'd have to definitely put one of the English classics in there as well. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Now we're going to go through to finish off just some quick fire questions. Um, we'll go Blake, then Rachel uh, in terms of answering it. Just a few little quick questions here. Um, funniest or maybe most annoying rider in the jockey's room? Uh, look, I think the, the same. I have the same answer for both. It's probably Jimmy Innes. Um, <laughs> he, he he's uh, yeah, he, he's he's definitely got both covered there. Right. Uh, now, what about favorite and least favorite track to ride at, Blake and Rachel? Um, favorite track would have to be Ramwick. Um, yeah, I've had had a lot of lot of luck there. My biggest biggest win there, so that's got to be my favorite. Least favorite's probably Corindai. Uh, just just through the sheer shape of it, and um, you know the downhill slope. A lot of horses you can go there and have a, have a lot of horses that you think will run well on form, but they just don't come down the hill. So it's it's very hard to pick. Uh, I think my favorite. I'm gonna have to copy you. My favorite would be Ramwick as well. Um, I was had a lot of success there. I think I had my first Saturday winner around a Group One winner there. And I think the least favorite probably have to be Tamworth. Um, after going all the way up there to ride in the country championships, and ended up not even getting to the race, having had a fall. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Um, trainers, which trainer gives the best spray? Blake, lead us off. Uh, look, uh, I've been lucky enough to cop a few sprays over the years, but um, I'd say none better was actually John Thompson as an apprentice. He, he gave me a good one. He's, he's usually quite a quiet guy, um, but has since apologised and said he was under a lot of pressure at the time, so I, I obviously forgave him. But, yeah, Jizzy gave me an almighty spray. Um, I think mine, probably my worst one was Gary Portelli. It was a couple of years ago now when I was apprentice and um, I was probably deserved of the spray. But, yeah, it, it, that was probably the worst one I've ever had. Now, me and Lewis love to crack open a beer on a Thursday night when we record this podcast. Um, after a big race day, uh, what's the beverage of choice for yourselves? Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm a bourbon and coke man. Um, it's it's probably not the healthiest for me so if I'm riding it would generally be just a, a glass of wine but uh yeah if I'm not riding a, a bourbon and cake always goes down well my my English side comes out here and I love nothing more than a gin and tonic <laughs> gin and tonic what's a what's a good English gin I'm trying to think of good English gin oh I don't mind any of them to be honest I'm, <laughs> I'm not I like a Hen- Hendrix is very good Hendrix is probably the top of the list but yeah I'm not too fussy <laughs> Beautiful. Now, obviously, Rachel, we've got to say a quick congratulations, a double at Hawkesbury today, Zanzi Dance in race one and Super Tanker in race six, riding in great form. We can catch you at Randwick on Saturday for Group 1 Golden Rose Day. Uh, I know Dean is keen on the chances of Marbusha. We might actually just get what your quick thoughts on, on Marbusha on Saturday. Yeah, I'm look really happy with the filly. She's um she's obviously had a, a fantastic prep last prep, um, winning the couple of races and then before before running second in a stakes race and I think she ran into quite a smart one that day. She seems to have come back. She's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, which you always like to see, you know, from fillies. Um, and just seems to have matured a little bit as well. So I couldn't be happier with her, you know, from her two trials and ridden her in a couple of gallops as well the last few weeks. So um, yeah, really, really looking forward to getting back on her and hopefully the feeling she's given me in her trials and track work, um, that plays out on race day as well.
Beautiful. And another one in there in race eight is Outback Barbie. I've got a uh, good opinion. I like following Outback Barbie all through her campaign. So that should be a good ride. Blake, we can catch you over the next few days at Goulburn, Kembla on Saturday and Bathurst on Sunday. I might need to flick you a few uh, petrol cards, mate. Bit of, bit of mileage in that one. <laughs> I was just I just went in to get my car service today just in preparation. It was um it's gonna be quite a quite a trip, but like I said, I'm I'm wherever the, the winners lead me, I'll be going and um hopefully I can I can rack up a couple there between the three days. Beautiful. Guys, now that wraps up uh the interview. We can't honestly thank you enough for, for giving your time. I know it's a really busy schedule, uh, as we just found out that you guys have. So we really, really appreciate you coming on and not only giving Dean and I and insight, but all the listeners out there as to what goes on and and what we're excited for this spring. So honestly, uh, thanks so much for being a part of the pod. Uh, no worries at all, guys. You're very welcome and any time. Happy to be on here. Thanks once again to Rachel and Blake uh, for coming on. Very generous with their time as always, uh, and hopefully could put this podcast on the map a little bit. That's a pretty big coup that you just lined up for us there, Dino. Yeah, Blake's uh, become a friend of mine over sort of the past year or two and then uh, Rachel as well. They're a great couple, great people and probably even better jockeys. So, no, always cracking to get them on the show and they've probably got a wealth of knowledge people probably don't know about them as well. So, no, always great to interview people like that um, and hopefully, like you said, put us on, on the map. That's it. Now, obviously, Rachel riding out at Rose Hill on Saturday, so let's move into your two best bets on the card, Rose Hill Group 1 Golden Rose Day. As we said before, it's a very, very exciting uh, and and entertaining always three-year-old race. Uh, good four. Bit of, it's supposed to be overcast, but there's not supposed to be any rain. The rail's in the true, so it probably stays in that good four range, I would have thought. How have you found Saturday looking? Um. I think it's a cracking uh, day Saturday, races-wise, for sure. Um, I found it a very tricky sort of betting prospects, though. I think, uh, especially in the Golden Rose, you've got a ninety-five favourite, Rothfire. Um, some value to play around for him, for sure. But I thought a couple of the other races on the day, um, very, very tricky. That's a Pena Generals race. Um, and the other three-year-old race, sorry, over 1,800 metres, I found them very, very tricky to sort of dissect. There's a lot of form lines coming from um, a lot of different places, and I thought to myself, they're probably races that I might stay out of. Um, those races I speak of, the gloaming and the um, <clears throat> golden pendant, I thought those sort of races might be a little bit tricky, but I've found two bets that I'm very keen to back, um, and I think I might play small come Saturday. Right, I'm moving into your first one. Take us to race five. Um, race five, it's the Heritage Stakes over 1,100 metres. How have you found this race and, and who, are we, who are we steering into? Yeah, very keen on this race, actually. Uh, first glance, I had Wild Ruler picked out of the trial, so that was obvious to go have a look at the race. And I just think the value in this race is outstanding. I think the market has these two horses in this race. I speak of Wild Ruler and Mabusha completely wrong. I expect them to start favourite and second favourite come Saturday and I expect a big drift on um, Forbidden Love. For that reason, um, just go look at Wild Rulers trials. The first two trials back this prep have been absolutely outstanding. Um, hard on the bit, 
Um, not asked to close and he's just extended away beautifully. Um, looked to have a lot in the tank and I love his work through the line in the latest trial. Libertini was asked to close off that trial in the latest one while Ruler sat there pretty um, and did it a lot, lot better than um, Libertini. Drawn Barrier 6 should get an absolutely gun run. 1-1 one, one, J-Mac aboard. 1.4 lengths off Rothfire last prep. And I really like this Makura form from last prep. I think a lot of the slipper form is what people are sort of looking at or looking for. I don't tend to want to look at that form. I'm not, not sure how good it is. Um, this Makura sort of um, Rothfire form is the form I'm keen to, to look for. 1,100 metres first up, yes. Two trials. Love the way Snowden team prepare their horses uh, first up. $6 is a huge price. I've got him marked around that $3.50 price. Um, and so I'll be playing him as one bet. The other one I'll mention is Marbusha. This will be my second bet in the race. It's come up $9. Um, the simplest way I can put this is Marbusha met Forbidden Love uh, last prep as a two-year-old. Marbusha raced three wide throughout that event. Uh, Forbidden Love have a not, had a nice run outside the leader. Uh, Marbusha kicked. Went on to beat Forbidden Love by two lengths easily. Um, Forbidden Love's come up $4.20 here. Marbusha opened around that $9.50, $10 mark. Can't understand that at all. Um, form to back it up. One from one first up. 1,100 metres, yes. Um, 1.5 lengths off that Mercura form I mentioned. Gets 54 kilos here. Um, I just think at the odds, that's crazy, crazy price. Um, both of those horses will shorten come Saturday. So... Um, really warm to these two bet plays, and from a profit point of view, you sort of got to take it out of that out of your mind that you might still get bigger profit, say backing one horse, but why not secure profit by backing two horses? Um, have a lot better chance of the race. So, race five, uh, Wild Ruler one bet, um, Mabusha the second bet. I've heard you say some smart things in your time, mate, but none smarter than warming to the two bet play. Uh, those two bets there, they've been met with good support, as you mentioned, uh, basically in the market at the moment, playup.com, the only two that have been back. There's been a little nibble for rocketing by, uh, but Forbidden Love uh, and Destination are holding firm, or Forbidden Love actually is getting about out a bit to its right price. So suggesting to the punters to lock in number one, Wild Ruler, and number 12, Marbusha, while they can. Now, moving on to the second bet, comes up in the lucky last. And we're having another crack. Tell us about it. Yeah, I've been on this bloke uh, first two starts. I think most punters would. But uh, Mask Crusader, third up here, looks the peak. Um, I think the barrier is the big push. Finally draws a nice barrier. Um, just to mention, too, that's a very, very tough game to be a jockey. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it at all. Tommy Berry's probably in career best form. Um, probably Sydney's top jockey at the moment. Um Liked what he did last start. He had to push forward um, and be positive over 1,100 metres. Hindsight says um, probably where he settles on the map um, on paper. He wins from and that horse was Fitzhugh's. J-Mac goes aboard so punters don't lose anything at all. Barrier 2 will sit in behind the leader prime candidate. Go back to the sectionals. First start, last, last 200, 1183. Last 400, 2318. And last 600, 34.97. Probably don't sound too crash hot, um, but it was a heavy 10, absolute bottomless track that day. Huge sectionals. Um, definitely ready, ready to win. Forgive last start when sitting four wide the trip and just done late. Um, 
$2, I think, around that price currently. I've got him marked around that $1.50. So I would definitely definitely recommend locking in that price. I can't see the support for much else in that race. Um, maybe Rock O'Clock gets some uh, support first up or Mirror Vision, but I think it's his time Saturday, um, and I'm very keen to play there. And he, and he probably gets a better run as well uh, this time from Barrier 2. There's less chance of him obviously being stuck out on a limb somewhere or, you know, getting any bad luck in run. You'd think there's no excuses this Saturday. Yeah, for sure, exactly. That's sort of the key to this run. On paper, you're looking at average tempo. Prime candidate will probably lead them up and it'll probably be a solid leader too. He, he won't sort of tack on or stack them up. I think he'll push out to be like one or two lengths off um, second and third, which I have mapped. There's Master Crusader and Mount Tabar, can't even say the word, Tabara. Uh, Mirror Vision will kick up maybe, possibly Dancing Gidget, but from Barrier 2, J-Mac on, he'll be positive. We can 100% lock that in. Um, and he'll have a he'll have a rabbit to chase in Prime Candidate as well. Well, he's four kilos under Prime Candidate, so that's a huge weight swing. He's got to give two kilos to Rocker, uh, two and a half kilos to Rocker Clock, um, and anything under that I can't really see beating him, to be honest. So it looks a good play there, Mars Crusader. Just quickly, for all the listeners, we've only got two bets uh, here. Well, one of them's a two-bet play, so we've really got three bets. Just go through them quickly uh, once more. Uh, race five, Rose Hill, um, Wild Ruler, number one, and number 12, Marbusha. Bet to win the same amount off both of them horses. Uh, bet two, race nine, Mask Crusader. Uh, take the odds now. I think he'll be around that dollar fifty come Saturday. That's it. Now, there's also Group 1 racing in Melbourne, both on Friday and Saturday night. We'll touch on the Moya Friday night in a second, but firstly... We will get through uh, this Caulfield betting. Have you had a look at the Caulfield card? Yeah, I did have a quick look uh, in, in along this busy week. But, uh, no, it looks a great, great race. Um, the Underwood Stakes are group one of the day. And the races around it, too, look very good, especially the last race. I really like that race. looks like there's a bit of um, form value to be found out of that. But uh, so we're racing at Caulfield, like you said, uh, rally out six metres, Underwood Stakes Day. What can you tell us about the weather come Saturday? Well, it's supposed to be pouring down. Uh, depending on what weather experts you listen to on the Twitter sphere, it's either going to be um, <laughs> soft five or a heavy ten. So I've kind of eyeballed it to the middle, and I'm working off a soft seven, uh, possibly heavy eight. Obviously, we'll never know until race time comes, but it, I think it has to be wet if, if they're getting the rain that is expected. It's got to be uh, a wet track. So in saying that, Although it might not be bottomless, you definitely want a horse that um, is able to run well in the wet. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, soft seven, maybe heavy eight. Rail out six metres. Normally when that's dry, that can mean on pace. But obviously with this weather here, if it does creep into the heavy range, they might be looking to get um, off the fence. As always, as always, as always, just monitor the first few races, see how we're playing, you know, get an idea uh, usually pretty quickly of what's going on. Exactly, exactly. It's always a good estimate um, before race day to, to sort of have a crack at how you think the race, uh, the track will play, sorry, but definitely have to monitor those early races and bet according. Um, that's when you sort of have all the aspects of a race in front of you come Saturday. Uh, we'll move on to your first bet. Comes up in race four. Um, currently has uh, is an emergency in the Moya. 
Brooklyn Hustle. It, it, no, it's in. It's in the Moya. I'm just this. Well, I was going to explain that, that I'm I'm tipping that uh, Alpha Oro runs on Friday night and Brooklyn Hustle scratches from the Moya and runs here. It, it's a bit of a gamble, um, but I just I just needed to tip Brooklyn Hustle here because I think if it runs and Alpha Oro is definitely going um, to the Valley on Friday night, I think if it runs here on Saturday, Brooklyn Hustle it wins. So. For that reason, I'm tipping him. Two really strong runs uh, so far this campaign by Brooklyn Hustle. First up over 1,000 metres at the Valley. Uh, she settled near last in the run and just unleashed with that really explosive turn of foot that we all know she has. One by three and a half lengths, eased down over the line. Obviously had to duck and weave through the field, but was really, really impressive. Uh, then last start, she went to the Group 2 McEwen. Same track and trip. Uh, and I thought she fought on really well through the line behind Bella Vella. Uh, her last 200-meter sectional was a good 10.82, which was 0.02 seconds off Bella Vella, who obviously recorded the fastest one. So it was a really evenly matched last 200 with the winner. It was quite hard to make uh, ground in that race. You saw the ones coming from off the speed, Hanseatic, etc., really struggle to just catch up with the top two. So I really was impressed with the way Brooklyn Hustle fought through the line. Um I was also impressed with their decision to ride positively. They sat in the 1-1, and maybe in the past we thought that Brooklyn Hustle needed to be ridden really cold to be at her best, but I think this proved otherwise. I was really impressed with the way she was able to still finish off the race after settling uh, much more closer in the run. So as I said, banking on the tip that Alpha Oro runs on Friday night, uh, there's not much pace in this race, so I think from barrier two they look to sit prominently again in the run, maybe try and find that one-out, one-back position again. Uh, two runs on soft tracks have been really good. She obviously drops in grade here down to listed level from that group two level last start. Uh, she's six kilos off the top weight in order of command. Uh, and I think now coming out to the 1200 meters third up should really, really suit. So hoping she runs here on Saturday rather than Friday. Race four, number six, Brooklyn Hustle. <clears throat> Sorry, mate. Uh, sort of spoiled your little conversation there for sure. but. Uh... Cracking, cracking horse, uh, like you said, has that great turn of foot and really like that versatile approach that you stated there. Um, Barry, two, you would expect to kick up. Um, so, no, it looks a great bet. Currently $3.70 with play up. Um, we'll move on to your second bet. Comes up uh, in race nine, the last of the day at Caulfield. Uh, which way will we be playing that? Yep, I'm going with number eight here, nonconformist in the last. I've always had a good opinion of this horse. Um, and I'm really excited to see it second up here. So I thought it was an excellent return to the race's last start uh, when it was fresh at Caulfield. They rode quietly that day over the 1,400 metres, settled towards the rear, needed room on the turn, didn't really get it until about 250 metres to go where he pushed into the clear. Uh, he let down really well, made up many lengths to figure right in the finish. A few more strides, I think he goes close. He ran the quickest sectionals of the race, uh, and that was on the back of only an even tempo set by Sir Callahad in the lead. So the fact that he was able to reel that off from the rear off a model, moderately run race was impressive. He ran the 11th fastest 200-meter split of the day. That's really good as well for the 1,400-meter race that wasn't run overly quickly. Second up now, steps out to the 1,700 meters. I think that's ideal. He sticks to the same grade, this handicap level, and drops half a kilo in weight. I've said that before numerous times you know, throughout the pod. When they stick 
uh, or drop in grade and drop in weight as well, it's a huge, huge bonus. So he's got some added fitness now. Uh, I think they they can elect to ride him a bit closer this time from barrier 11, maybe midfield or just behind uh, in a one-out spot would be the best-case scenario. Give him clear running at the top of the straight and let him let down. Two runs on uh, rain-affected tracks have been both wins for a combined total of 8.25 lengths. So there's obviously no doubting his ability on soft going. Looks a really competitive end of the day, as you said, um, but I'm hoping that uh, Nonconformist will be able to send us all home a winner. Race nine, the get-out, number eight, Nonconformist. What's your take on the barrier there? Barrier 11 drawn out. Do you expect them to be positive here, second up uh, over 1,700 metres? Where, where do you see him settling the run? I think uh, what I can envision happening is letting him jump and seeing how he jumps and not really going out there with a decision before the barrier is even open to either go forward or restrain him. I think it'll be left in the hands of Jordan Charles to just see how he jumps uh, and see if he can just start to drift across Maybe if a few others go forward uh, or a few others go back, I'm hoping he just can get behind midfield in a one-out position. I'm confident that they won't go out there with a direct decision to go either forward or backwards. Um, If he has to go back to the rear again, that's not worst-case scenario, but just depending on how the track's playing by race nine, I wouldn't want him to have to make up a stack of ground. Um, so that's why I was just hoping if he can get into that kind of beyond, behind midfield one-out position, um, I think that would be best for him. Perfect, perfect. Uh, one more time for the punters. Get you to go through your bets again. That's it. We're going to go race four, number six, Brooklyn Hustle, if she lines up, and in the get-out race nine, number eight. Now, we've also got uh, – we'll, we'll touch on all our bets in a very uh, – few seconds for our Group 1 challenge. But quickly, we've got the Group 1 Moya coming up Friday night. Always a cracking uh, race. And and unfortunately, it's always a cracking night out there. Uh, Not that many of us will be able to get out, but uh, night racing at the Valley, it's finally back. Um, If that doesn't just scream out spring and summer, then I don't know what does. But I'm really, really excited for uh, this race at the Valley. The weather's obviously, again, going to be a deciding factor. Um, Just... You know whether or not we get this big downpour by the time the race arrives on Friday. Um, we'll have to wait and see tomorrow, obviously. But, um, yeah, look, should be a really good race. If the heavy does come, and, and I'll kick off our little Group 1 challenge here, if the heavy does come, I think you'd have to side with either Jungle Edge, Bella Vella, or Diamond Effort shouldn't be overlooked either um, if it is heavy. But my little $100 challenge, firstly, in the Moya, I'm plonking it all on Bella Vella. Go, Will Clarkin. Yeah, cracking uh, race, uh, cracking run last start. Cannot knock that horse at all. I have gone with number 11, Hansi Attic, $100 on the nose. Love the way um, he closed last start. I um, think he'll get a lot more speed come Friday night, especially. And I think the. The wet track is a slight career for him, but the positive on the back end of that is if it's say it pays a little bit on pace, um, this could sort of even it out a little bit. But 52 kilos, Hanseatic, I think the sectionals last start were absolutely outstanding. Um, absolutely phenomenal speed on this race. So he can sit out the back from seven or midfield on the outside and pounce late. So that's the way I'll be playing the Group 1 uh, Moya Stakes. Now moving on to Saturday's Group 1s. 
Who have you got firstly at uh, Rose Hill in the Golden Rose and then who have you got in the Underwood? The Golden Rose, um, I think are very important for punters to look at this race. Um, a lot of the horses that come to this race come through the run to the Rose. That race in the run to the Rose was a crazy race. You won't see races often run like that at all. Um, I think in my mind there has to be a huge query on how Rothfire has bounced through that race. He had the toe, the field, um, up to um, Farnan off a crazy, crazy tempo, probably not as crazy as most people thought, but that's still a huge feat. Surely that's got to take a bit out of the horse. So the $1.95 I'm against. I think North Pacific is the bet. We'll get a much, much normal a normal race tempo here uh, doesn't look to be overly too much speed, but definitely enough speed for this bloke to sit off uh, them and pounce late with a nice turn of foot. So North Pacific is the horse I'll be backing. Uh, Underwood, especially if that rain comes, um, I think you definitely have to be on Russian Camelot. And you look at the wet form there, I think Arcadia Queen could have been a better for dry track, but if the rain comes, wet track, Russian Camelot has to be the bet for mine. So Golden Rose, North Pacific, Underwood, Russian Camelot. Uh, how are you playing them two, mate? Look, I agree with your sentiments, um, re Rothfire, but he's the one I want to be on. I'm plonking the 100 on the dollar ninety five. They breed him tough up north, mate. I know he had to cart him in uh, and, and, you know, and worked, but I just think the ratings that he run – that day and the and the ratings that he could possibly go to are so far superior to every other horse in this race. I think the dollar ninety five is justifiable. So Hunji on Rothfire. And then Caulfield, we're the same, mate. Race eight, number ten, Russian Camelot. Um, I know Arcadia Queen has been working really well, and it's no knock on her, but again, if that rain comes and I just think this bloke is in a different league, Russian Camelot, he was uh, wide. He doesn't have much luck in these Group 1s. The Group 1 last start, he was wide, no cover, and he stuck on so well um, and almost went close to winning. But, yeah, race eight, number 10, Russian Camelot for me. So there's a $300 spend between both of us, courtesy of play-up in our Group 1 challenges. There's a few good things you could buy for $300, Dino, uh, but I think three tickets in these races are the way that we want to be playing. Now, I've also got a little get-out stakes uh, challenge. Obviously, we've both had bets uh, in the last races of our respective venues, but I like giving the uh, the punters and the listeners just somewhere to go, somewhere to travel, somewhere to look forward to. Uh, so believe it or not, mate, this uh, Saturday I'll be traveling internationally. We're going Singapore, race 14, <laughs> number 11, triple bowl. CC Wong to ride, the GOAT. Uh, it's a last start second. It ran really well over 1,200 metres, carries 52.5 kilos, steps out to 1,400 metres, fourth up, rock hard fit. Uh, and again, CC Wong is on. I can't bet against him, mate. He's, he's over there uh, and he's my favourite for a reason. So Singapore, race 14, number 11, triple bowl, get on uh, and you'll be able to pay yourself dinner Saturday night. Mate, huge episode. Um, a great Great interview with Rachel and Blake. Obviously, thanks again so much to them for giving their time in a busy schedule now uh, to come and have a chat with us. Best of luck on the weekend, mate. We'll be in touch. you got that two little two-bet play coming up there. Should be a great day at Rose Hill. You're going out, I think. You're going out to Rose Hill? Yeah, I'll be on course. Uh, Rose Hill going up to Sydney to see my best mate who lives about 15 minutes from the venue. So going to the races with uh, his name's Rocco and his brother Santino. So... 
I'll be on course. Haven't been on course since uh, winter's fourth clock's played. So it's been a, a while between drinks, but can't wait. Got the suit sorted. End up going with the split suit option. So um, we'll see how the day pans out, but it should be an absolute crack. I love going on course at Rose Hill. So sorry to all the Melbourne uh, listeners out there. I know it can be a bit... Um, Bit of a tease, me going to race day where they're stuck at home, but I'm sure I'm sure I'll have a couple of beers for them. That's it. I'm disappointed you didn't take my footy shorts and bing tang option, but uh, <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe we'll save that for the provincials. Mate, have a good weekend. Best of luck. A few frothies. Best of luck to all the listeners and the punters as well. Hope we all have a fill-up on what should be an absolutely huge weekend of racing, and we'll be here to do it all again next week. Ciao for now.